0: Welcome to A Correction Podcast. I'm your host, Lev Moscow. And today we're really excited to be joined by Andrea Terzi, who is a professor of economics at Franklin University in Switzerland and research associate at the Levy Institute in, of Bard College, New York. He's taught at Rutgers, the Institute for International Studies in Florence, the European College of Parma, and Catholic University. And his research interests include central banking, monetary operations macrofinancial accounts, and the effects of monetary and fiscal policy on private savings and aggregate demand. Welcome to the show, Andrea. Thank you, and thanks for having me. Uh, I'm very excited to talk today about monetary policy and about central banking, which is your expertise. So what I'd like to do is just start with a really basic question, but what is monetary policy?
1: Uh, yes, and um, I'll begin with a statement. Um, Monetary policy is uh, primarily the power of the central bank that issues the national currency to set the cost of that currency. So let me explain what this means. And um, let me start with what uh, the central bank does or central banks do. The central bank is an agent of the government uh, pursuing goals in the public interest. And um, these uh, goals include uh, chiefly the well-functioning of the monetary system, including the payment system and the banking system. This means that um, central banks watch over the flow of money. And uh, not just the money that they issue, though. Uh, what's more important in advanced economies, uh, where um, uh, most of the payments are made through banks and not tr- uh, exchanging physical banknotes, um, so what's more important is that they oversee the money that banks are authorized to issue when they buy financial assets from clients or make loans to the non-bank private sector, that is, businesses and, um, and households. C- central banks also manage the payments between the government and the private sector, um, mm. such as public spending, uh, taxes, Uh, sales of treasury securities, um, interest payments paid on those securities. And in addition, most central banks also have supervisory and uh, regulatory powers uh, to ensure the stability of the banking system and hence um, uh, preserve trust in the banking system. We should also consider that central banks are a creation of the 20th century At the start of the 20th century, which means about 120 years ago, there were less than 20 central banks in the whole world. Today, virtually every country has one. Now, what we call monetary policy is therefore just one of the functions of a central bank. And it is mostly uh, the setting and modifying interest rates and market
0: yields. What did we ever do before... beginning of the 20th century like when there were no central banks. Well then when there were no central banks the monetary
1: system was very different. Um, Most uh, countries um, had um, um, convertible currencies in gold and the whole monetary system banking system was quite different. The the need of having a separate agent uh, called a central bank uh, occurs with the um, extension or the the creation of non-convertible currencies in the um, second decade, third decade of the 20th century. And after World War II, um, the the, the system begins to be um, close to what we experience today, um, despite all the differences, of course. Um, And uh, central banks become key uh, in uh, agent in the um, supervision of the monetary system.
0: But just to be clear, because it goes back to something you said a minute ago, are central banks the creators of money or are other banks creating money? I guess my question is, how does money actually get created?
1: They clearly issue uh, banknotes and um, uh, which they trade with banks. Uh, And they also create electronic banknotes, so to speak, uh, that are balances uh, of banks at the central bank. Just like you and me may have an account at the bank, banks have accounts at the central bank. So um, um, uh, so, so the money that central banks issue is, uh, can be seen as a, uh, n- nothing much different from an IOU that you or I could issue. Uh, when we promise a payment to someone uh, with a big difference that uh, the IOU that you or I issue is not very likely to be accepted <laughs> by others as right. a means of payment, uh, but it is in the, um, uh, in the c- contemporary monetary system when it's issued by a central bank uh, for many reasons. And one being that uh, we can always use those uh, banknotes or uh, those balances uh, to pay anything that we owe to the government, including taxes, including fines, including anything or, or, or paying for public utilities. Um, so uh, we, we know that we can use them to, uh, to pay the issuer of the
0: currency. I see. So let's go back to that's clear. Let's go back to the question of how you set interest rates, which, as you said, is the is the price of money. Do central banks tell all of the banks, okay, you must have your interest rate at
1: 2%? No, not exactly. Um, They set the interest rates on the money that they issue. Consider this. If you issued cards, say cards, that everybody needs and can only get from you, and if you had a legal monopoly of issuing such cards, you would inevitably also have the power to set unilaterally the interest rate for lending those cards. And you would not have to negotiate with the borrowers. You just impose any price that you wish you think it's fair or good for the economy or good for you. Um, so you just set the price and, uh, of, of what you only can provide. The, the central bank does the same. They issue the national currency and they can set the cost for borrowing it with one difference, as I said, um, because central banks do not lend to people. You and I do not borrow from the central bank. So central banks set the rate for lending to banks. And this is because banks need the national currency every time they need to settle payments on behalf of their depositors. Um, And once this interest rate is being set, banks will then transfer that interest rates to clients with markup. So now the the practical way uh, that um, central banks set interest rates is is a bit complicated technically and it would take more time to be Mm -hmm. disentangled. Suffice to say that what is being reported as the interbank rate, what's called the uh, Fed funds rate in the United States. Uh, that's the interest rate that uh, central banks have the power to constrain within, within uh, a, a narrow range, a narrow, a narrow corridor. Uh, and periodically, and there's no regularity here, the central bank modifies that range and the rate that banks pay when borrowing money will increase or will fall, um, and this rate, which in, in, the, in, the, in the United States is called the Fed Funds rate, uh, will spill over uh, on 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 the
0: whole financial markets. So maybe we can go into more detail there. I mean, is that going to determine the kind of rates we're going to pay for a car loan, or right. A loan for a house, or? Yes, oh. yes, yes,
1: yes. As the, as the central bank is, is going to increase or uh, reduce um, the interest rate that banks pay to the central banks, they will adjust the interest rates that they ask their clients when they make loans. So they, so this is a uh, indirect control of
0: uh, market rates. I see. So what are central banks aiming for? when they change the interest rates? <laughs> this is a
1: good question because while um, this may um, seem like a, um, a, a question with a simple answer, it is not that simple. Um, it, I think it is fairly known um, how central banks today stress their aim to preserve, preserve price stability. No? However, this is not their one and only goal. In, um, in the most general sense, um, I should probably say that their aim is to preserve or restore macroeconomic stability in the public interest. Now, the, um, the specific contents of this goal are um, typically outlined by, uh, by the government. And not all governments outline the goals in the same way. Or have outlined the goals in the same way over time. Plus, central banks have some room for interpretation, so to speak, and uh, as, they, uh, as they act without the need to uh, get prior approval from the government or Congress, although, of course, they are and remain uh, accountable to the legislative or executive branch of government. However, price stability has become a, a, um, a primary goal, assigned to central banks in the last 20, 30 years. And um, the idea that this is a, uh, a primary goal for central banks is based on the notion that um, uh, inflation, uh, runaway inflation, rampant inflation, uh, causes um, deep economic malaise, including um, rising inequity, and ultimately, economic stagnation. Um, But um, central banks also keep track of uh, general macroeconomic conditions, including um, the rate of economic growth, uh, the loss of jobs, uh, the risk of financial and banking collapse. Uh, During the Great Recession, they largely acted to restore growth, employment, and financial stability. What's... um, What's more problematic is to describe how central banks believe that interest rates have an effect on macroeconomic conditions. And perhaps we can discuss this, this later on.
0: I mean, I have two questions. One, what do we mean by price stability? Does it mean that prices never rise, that they rise by only 2%, by 4%? And then I guess my other question is, you said they act in the national interest, and I guess I wonder if everybody say in the United States has the same interest with regard to prices. The notion of price stability
1: is not a clear cut notion, uh, beginning with the fact that um, uh, the um, uh, that inflation is is uh, measured with a gauge uh, called the price index which is largely a uh, construction that depends on a number of assumptions and uh, different methodologies. There exists more than one price index, as, as you may mm-hmm. know. And um, uh, and they sometimes they differ. Uh, sometimes they differ quite significantly. And there is a whole literature about how um, price indexi- indices are... Um, um able to capture um, the the movement of prices in general i couldn't even say the true inflation because true inflation does exist uh, a price uh, the price level for the economy does not exist is, is a is an abstraction sorry it, so it, just it if, if we
0: talk about cpi that's not yeah, a cpi pce yeah. index
1: yes wow yeah, okay that's just one also- measure there's also yeah the CPI is one uh, in the United States CPI mm-hmm. is one CPI index is another one. Okay. Uh, there's also the CPI or the PC without uh, um, uh, food and energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also the trimmed index. There's a whole attempt of um, of of getting to um, uh, have a sense of um, uh, trying to distinguish between. Uh, movement in prices that reflect a change in relative relative prices, which is probably what we're living now. Um, uh, Energy is becoming extremely expensive, and this is driving the price index up. And um, and, and, and a price index should uh, let us estimate uh, how much this is just a movement of one price and how much this is spreading over uh, a number of different commodities. Mm-hmm. But it's no price of money. Uh, although people tend to refer to the notion of the price of money, there's no price of money. A price of money did exist at the time of convertible currencies when, uh, when, um, when a currency was backed by gold because the, the value of the currency was the price of gold. So if gold would go up, uh, all the other prices would go down. And if gold would go down, all the other prices would go up. Uh, So there was a price of money. But today, with non-convertible currencies, there's no sense of talking about the price of money or the value of money. Of course, you can talk about the purchasing power of a dollar uh, because prices change. And because prices change, of course, you can buy more or less depending on how prices move.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. So to go back... um... Yeah, I guess, like, do we, do we want to see no change in price? Do we want to see right. 2%? And what are we looking for?
1: Yeah, it, it, precisely because the, there's no certainty about what the price index gauge tells us. Uh, most central banks um, define price stability as something about a 2% inflation annual. They define inflation as an annual 2% change. And uh, the reason why they don't aim at zero, uh, there are more than, there's more than one reason. Um, one, one is the idea that uh, uh, the price indices uh, tend to um, over, overestimate inflation. Um, and, and, and that's because they may miss um, improvements in quality of goods. You know, uh, goods and services, especially in our times, uh, change every year. Uh, think, just think of uh, technological devices um, um, uh, constantly change and, and new products come, in, uh, come into, uh, into the market. So um, this change in products, this change in quality uh, is raising a big challenge to anyone who uh, wants to uh, measure a price index and there is the idea that the price indices, this has also been tested and estimated a number of times, uh, it it, it may miss uh, an increase in quality. If you buy the same product and the product quality is enhanced from from one year to the next, if that price is the same price, you're really paying less in the second year, right? Because you pay the same price for uh, higher quality. And this may be missed by the price index. So to, um, to be on the safe side, you better aim for some positive rate of inflation to account for quality changes. There's also other reasons. Um, one other reason is that um, it is believed that uh, some uh, uh, low inflation is good for the economy. It, it stimulates investment for the future, as investors expect that prices will rise and, um, uh, and not decline. And, uh, and the third reason, in fact, is the fear of deflation. Uh, deflation seems to be um, a good thing for a consumer who has a fixed income and with lower prices uh, can buy more um, and uh, um, will experience an increase in the power. But from a macro point of view, this is not true because every price is somebody's income. And when you have deflation in the economy, you you also have a decline in incomes. And uh, when incomes decline, this makes it increasingly difficult for people to pay pay out their debts because debts are not adjusted for deflation.
0: Mm -hmm. If you owe
1: $100, you still owe $100 if prices fall. And if prices fall and your incomes fall, uh, debts become more difficult to pay to be paid off.
0: Right. And I guess that brings me to the other question. I mean, the reason I ask about national interest is that as somebody who has, say, $100,000 in college debt, I can imagine that my interest would be 3% annual inflation because I'd like to see a little bit more. And some, yeah. you know, maybe a lender has a, t- a different interest. So can we really speak of national interests?
1: We can speak of uh, national or public interest for the central banks in, to the extent that uh, they uh, aim for uh, macroeconomic stability in the sense that I that I said earlier in 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 terms of uh, maintaining a a, a, um, uh, a good uh, rate of growth of the economy, uh, high employment in general, and um, uh, but controversial point because uh, I myself believe that a central bank should move their interest rates the least as possible. Um, the experience of central banks in the in the last uh, well in the last 10 years has been to keep interest rate close to zero, which um, um, I think was not too bad. Uh, but pr- prior to that uh, central banks were uh, quite, keen on modifying their interest rates every time they notice um, uh, some change in expected inflation some changes in the um, in the unemployment rate uh, and, um, and and that is possibly a more destabilizing factor than a stabilizing factor but you know this is a question that is you know the uh, uh, that is, is being discussed among economists.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting question. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit more about it. I, be, because my next question is going to be about the global financial crisis that occurred you know, in, in, in 2008. And we spent right. a bunch of time talking about it in my 12th grade political economy class. And as you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, one of the responses of the world's central banks was to lower interest rates to near zero. And so I'm wondering what impact you think that's had on on, let's talk about the, the industrialized economies and how that changed, how the global financial crisis changed the way that central banks operate in general.
1: Yeah, the... The recession of uh, 2008, eight nine, and the, the depth of that recession um, caught central banks by surprise. And they all reacted by using um, uh, additional tools and to some extent new tools. The, the one that has caught the most attention is what is called quantitative easing. Um, And and this is when central banks make um, massive purchases of financial assets with the aim of absorbing so many securities from the market in such a way that the securities left in the market go up in price and hence pushing down market interest rates. So it is an additional um, push for lowering interest rates because you you know uh, i said earlier that typically central banks only control the interbank rate the fed funds rate mm-hmm. with quantitative easing they try to push down interest rates across the board more directly without waiting for the uh, spillover effect um, in in the markets but acting directly in the in the financial markets they they, they did this also to temporarily remove assets of no market value from private banks' balance sheets, uh, especially at the beginning of the Great Recession. And um, there, there have been other changes as well. And um, the, uh, the, the way to conduct uh, monetary policy after the, um, the global financial crisis was called uh, unconventional monetary policy or non-standard monetary policy. And one question today is whether the way to conduct monetary policy will go back to what it was before the 2008 crisis or has changed for good. Um, Then the other tool was to uh, push uh, interest rate to zero. Uh, And again, that was um, uh, based on the notion that, uh, and here we come to the question of how they, you know, maneuver interest rates. The the notion that by lowering interest rates you make um, borrowing cheaper, and, um, and this should su- uh, support um, spending, as uh, people should be uh, increase their spending if borrowing is cheaper. Uh, this doesn't always work. In fact, it really works um, because if um, uh, if the expectations of households and businesses are poor. Um, no matter how low interest rates go, um, uh, business
0: will will not invest. See. So, what do you think about the question of, to you know, to what extent the global financial crisis changed monetary policy permanently? You you mentioned that before. Do you think there's been a, a permanent shift in the way that central banks operate?
1: I think it. Uh, But it did change uh, monetary policy in a more profound way. Um, Just think of the um, uh, massive purchases that they did. It is um, uh, not very realistic to expect that uh, they will uh, sell off these financial assets in a brief, uh, short period of time. Uh, so this would remain for uh, a, a number of years. They also changed the technicalities by which they set the range of the interest rate in the interbank market. Um, uh, and um, by introducing uh, an interest rate uh, that remunerates banks when they hold uh, accounts at the central bank, Um and um, but it, and the, the also looking at uh, other central banks in the world, for example, considering the European Central Bank, the European Central Bank also has introduced other tools, including um, some um, mechanisms by which the central bank uh, lends to banks uh, for specific uses. Uh, or, I should say differently. Uh, so, the European Central Bank lends to banks uh, f- um, on condition that banks make loans to a specific sector of the economy, uh, for example, small and medium enterprises. Uh, and and um, this uh, uh, approach, which is not completely new, because in after World War II, most central banks. Uh, and particularly in Europe, uh, did uh, use this approach to monetary policy, not only setting rates, but also uh, inducing banks or incentivizing banks to lend to certain industries, to certain sectors. So they could do that. They could, for example, uh, um, uh, make it more expensive for banks to make loans for um, asset purchases, including houses, and make it cheaper for um, production, uh, job creation. Wow!
0: Uh, no investment. Wow, that's incredible. I didn't, I didn't know that at all. You know, I'm wondering, Andrea. We had here in the United States, we had um, consumer prices reach their their highest level in in 40 years in February. I think inflation was about eight percent. I'm wondering. And and I know it's high, you know, across the world actually. I don't know, I don't know if it's yeah. this high, but it's it's pretty high across the world. So I'm wondering, um, you know, there's been a big debate between, you know, the folks here who supported Larry Summers' reasoning that um excessive stimulus was going to lead to lots and lots of inflation, and other folks who thought, you know, maybe there'd be some inflation, but it'd be transitory. I'm wondering where you come down on that debate and why it matters, if it matters. And two, what you think central banks should be doing broadly and what you think Jerome Powell ought to be doing here with interest rates. Uh,
1: yeah. Um, today, inflation means um, mainly uh, one thing, the, the rising price of oil and energy worldwide and the increasing cost to supply stuff for, for many reasons, uh, partly because of the post-COVID situation, partly because of uh, the um uh, consequences of uh, the war in Europe, and um, the problem is that rising prices can, in fact, uh, trigger a a recession, as uh, consumers, um, uh, you know, for example, if you consider consumers who will have to pay an increasing amount of money for some expenses that they that they can hardly cut in the short run. Uh, energy, um, uh, gasoline, Um, this will squeeze the um, uh, spending on other goods and services and will have a consequence on the domestic economy. Um, You're quite right. Inflation is not a single country's phenomenon uh, today. Uh, Prices are rising worldwide, although at different speeds. So even, for example, I don't know, Switzerland that has a traditionally very low inflation rate, in fact, had um, declining prices recently, um, has wow. quickly adjusted to a, between 2% and 3% now uh, and probably um, uh, pointing higher. Um, the thing is that we, we've not seen inflation above 3% for many years. Uh, the last big episode goes back to the 1970s. And, um, and that episode um, left um, uh, a memory. Um, the memory is that the Fed killed inflation in the United States uh, at the time prices were rising around 10% per year by drastically raising interest rates. So the idea is that raising interest rates is the only answer what happened was that uh, the, the quick rise in the cost of money um, that was the 1980, 1981, 1982, uh, caused a significant pain throughout the whole U.S. economy, um, and not only the U.S. economy, also developing nations, including business failures and dramatically higher unemployment. And eventually, you know, once you kill the economy, you also kill prices, Eventually, all this removed pressure upon Mm -hmm. prices and inflation came down. This is a story that also has been told differently, I should say, uh, stressing instead um, how much the decline in inflation then was due to the decline in commodity prices, including oil, in the 1980s. But nevertheless, the the, the central banks seem, seem to be attached to a simple model that works like this. To reduce inflation, you need to lower the spending of households and firms. And if the cost of money goes up, they will find it more expensive to borrow and spend. So rising inflation requests moving interest rates up. And this is why today central banks are considering raising rates or have already raised rates in response to rising prices. But there is one big problem with this. Um, If inflation is mostly caused by rising prices of oil, that are largely maneuvered by the big oil producers, namely Saudi Aramco, there is little that higher rates at home can do except worsening a recession, uh, especially if they are raised um, uh, significantly and uh, rapidly. So I believe that central banks will, will, I don't know if I believe or hope, but I believe and hope that central banks will pay Lip service to this, and on the whole, refrain from a steep increase in interest rates. So we'll we'll see some interest rates increases, but hopefully, not too much. I, you know, I I also may add, with a uh, a, a famous quote from from one former member of the board of the U.S. Federal Reserve, uh, Daniel Tirolo, who stated that the U.S. Fed does in quote not at present have a theory of inflation dynamics that works sufficiently well to be of use for the business of real-time monetary policy making, end of quote. Wow. So we hope for the best and wish ourselves luck.